Welcome to Spotlight McCall, conversations with local luminaries on their inspiration, creativity, and vision. Today we're with Meg Lojek, teacher, Jack and Sophie's mom, better half of Ted, gymnast, lake swimmer, Nordic skier, world traveler and live abroader, and director of the McCall Public Library. Aren't we lucky? Meg and I were in the Leadership Academy in 2015 and 16. Here's an odd detail about both of us. On Academy days, we had lunch at various area restaurants. And do you know what is almost always missing from lunch menus? Kale. During that very first lunch, when I pulled a bowl of sautéed kale <laughs> out of my bag, I'll never forget the look on Meg's face. It was a mix of surprise, delight, and longing. <laughs> so I knew from then on I would bring veggies for two, right? That's right. Meg has her MA in English from the University of Montana and her library science degree from the U of I. She really is a live abroader, five countries, and we think four continents, she had to think about it. However, she always returns to Idaho, lucky us. I got to know Meg's mom, Dr. Helen Lojek, when we were both in Under Milkwood, the summer play at the Alpine Playhouse in the summer of 2015. I love that your mom came up from Boise for rehearsals mm -hmm. and performances, right? Mm -hmm. That was so cool. So let's start there. Tell us about your upbringing. Did you grow up in Boise? I did. I was born and raised in Boise. So all the first 18 years of my life, except for my eighth grade year, which was my first time I lived abroad. So my mom, who you met, Helen, mm -hmm. she received an offer for a sabbatical at the Trinity College in Dublin. So she packed up my brother and I, and we moved over there for a year and attended school, and mom did her studies, and, uh, and then we came back to Boise. That was easy. They spoke English, kind of, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> How was that? It was exciting, Renee, because like I said, I really was born and raised in Boise, and I hadn't really left the country, maybe a short foyer into Mexico with my dad as a tourist. But this was different, and going to school, and it's funny you say it was easy because they spoke English, but... They didn't speak my English, <laughs> so it was really good for, as an eighth grader to see the different perspective on things, um, to try to accustom my ear to their accent, to learn the different, there is different little vocabulary, and I was so isolated, I think, in Boise that I hadn't realized all those things, you know, I didn't know my geography, I didn't know what Ireland was like at all, and it was very eye-opening. What did it give you in terms of you as a person, and maybe even in your perspectives, in your career? I think it gave me, like I said, that perspective. Um, so where, uh, I think if you grow up in one place and, and only in your sim similar circle, um, it's quite easy to just have that one track mind and, and assume that everybody thinks the way that you think. And very quickly over there, I, I learned different perspectives on our politics, on our world, etc. And then the other thing that I think it gave us as a family was strength, because it wasn't always easy, even though it's a, you know, it's a first world country, it wasn't severe hardship, but moving is hard and moving abroad is probably harder sometimes, and uh, we had to adjust. So we, I think it gave us strength, kind of came through the other side, you stronger. Got, you got closer as a family. Mm -hmm. And then that helped motivate you for your own family when you decided to, to live abroad. With your yes. own children. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You knew you could do it. Right. Absolutely. Oh, I've always wondered how did they think they could do that? Yeah. And you knew you could do it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah. tell us what happened after Ireland. What else in your trajectory was really interesting or school or 
What got you into English? Mm. I'll admit this on air because my children already know it. I was never that good in math and science. <laughs> Although I was interested in learning it, when it came right down to the hard tag skills, I was stronger in the languages and um, the literature. So in college, I wasn't sure. I went to a liberal arts college. I wasn't sure what I would study, but, um, but I ended up being an English and Spanish major. How did Spanish come into it? That I would say I was encouraged by my father and my older brother who had both studied. My father had lived in Panama for a couple of years, so he's fairly fluent in Spanish as well. And he took us on a few short trips where we, I was pretty inspired and excited to hear other languages or to hear Spanish and be able to communicate with people. Mm -hmm. um, and then I saw my brother who also, I don't, I think he studied Spanish as well and he had moved to Spain to teach English and I just thought that was pretty cool that it opened up doors for him and even though he is also back in Idaho now he uses Spanish in his work as well so I think having those examples in my life inspired me to study some Spanish. So your family, your parents gave you this capacity for being spacious and trying new things and being adventuresome. Definitely. When I did move abroad with my own two children, they couldn't really complain that I was taking the grandchildren across the world because they had raised us this way. And the same thing with my husband's family. They mm -hmm. also had lived abroad before I even knew my husband. Right, and then, and then they moved so, to Barcelona. Mm-hmm, right. They're still there. Yeah, and oh. his sister's in Germany. And... How in the world, okay, and I wanna know, how in the world did you meet a guy from Georgia? Well, he was smart enough to come out west. <laughs> So when we were in graduate school, so after college I went to graduate school and got my master's in literature as you mentioned and he, mm -hmm. he also had wanted to come out west and study literature and so we met at the University of Montana. You met Ted in Montana. First day, orientation. Awesome. And he was also studying literature. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We were in the same program. So then throughout the next two years we got to know each other with mutual friends and mutual interests and mutual classes. And so after Missoula, there we were in a very over-educated population. But we went and took our first teaching jobs at a small town in Utah because that's where we could get jobs. Together. Mm -hmm. So we went together and we were married that year, taught at the same school. That and is unusual to get two English positions in the same school. Yes. And I taught Spanish as well oh. to make it work. Wait, was it Ted also economics? Mm -hmm. So from there, after three years in Utah, we decided that we wanted to go teach abroad. So this is, I guess, our third continent. Mm -hmm. So counted North America, Europe. At that point, we moved to South America. We moved to Ecuador, and we lived in Quito for two years, and we taught at the Colegio Americano de Quito. Um, also English, that was where our daughter was born, Sophie. They wanted you to teach English, not Spanish, in Ecuador. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, there were some people more qualified than I in, in Ecuador to teach Spanish. And this is the real reason we're having this podcast. So I can finally ask you the question I've always wanted to ask you. Oh. How in the world was it giving birth in Ecuador? Oh. What was that like? Because that in itself is an adventure. Because you gave birth to Jack in the States, so you have a point of reference. Oh, true. Well, they were both wonderful experiences, actually. Everything on the equator is sort of heightened. I don't know. There's, it's exciting down there. So hmm. honestly, there was probably one hospital in the country in Ecuador where, I, where you or I might feel very, very comfortable. And that was the hospital closest to our house. So I was very fortunate that we have very good medical care. Good timing. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
So, but it was exciting. I mean, there were links, you know, language challenges. I was glad that I spoke Spanish at times with different doctors and nurses. When you were giving birth, which language did you use? English. Mm. So here's another neat thing about the doctors that I had anyway at this particular hospital. Let's see, the pediatrician was trained at Yale. We had to see a specialist who was trained at uh, University of New York at Buffalo. And my doctor was trained in Germany, so our common language was English. So all of that, that was, was easy. Yeah, when they yelled push, it was push in English. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that was sort of tricky? Hmm. Well, Renee, I think it was tri- the only thing that I would really say was tricky was that we were so far away from what where home really was. We knew at the time that we weren't going to live in Ecuador forever, although we very much loved it there and loved the people there and our jobs. Um, We also knew that we wouldn't stay there forever. Mm -hmm. So I think having the grandparents here and having the cousins of of the kids and the aunts and uncles, Mm -hmm. I think that's what pulled us back to the United States. And I'm imagining the people, Latin people tend to be so warm and generous that people gave you that sense of family and support when you were there. They did, although it's interesting, you know, from teaching abroad, sometimes at the schools, um, you're you're so close with your fellow teachers. And Mm -hmm. a lot of our fellow Mm -hmm. teachers were what we affectionately called gringos. And they were wonderful, like great support, but it's not quite the same. Mm -hmm. And then there was, after Sophie was born, it was kind of funny. She was really, really white. I mean, she was almost translucent. Like, <laughs> and it was, we huh. were the outsiders there, right? Oh, like at the hospital, she was the only baby without thick, beautiful, dark hair. Yeah. She was the only baby who was sort of translucent. I mean, you would almost look at her and think, is there something wrong? Because all the other babies just <laughs> looked a little bit more colorful. colorful. <laughs> and so then throughout her infant, so that was that was fun. And then throughout her in- infancy, um, people just couldn't stop staring at her. Yeah. Because although there are foreigners in Quito, especially, it's a mm-hmm. capital city. It's very mm-hmm. cosmopolitan, a lot of industry there. Babies, like infants that are that tiny and that white <laughs> are maybe a little less common. So you felt a little conspicuous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were very conspicuous. Yeah. And we also went out and about quite a bit with our baby, which mm-hmm. isn't mm-hmm. as common there. Oh. Um, so that was a challenge because I think people who were very caring for us, um, some families that we were close to right on our street would say, you need to be indoors with your baby. And this was like a nice, you know, gentle 60 degree day and it's we're just out for a walk in the park, right? Like we're not doing anything crazy. Like here you see people skiing at Brundage with their babies on there. We were just out for a walk and they're like, oh, you should, you know, be careful. And mm-hmm. so they were much more protective of their infants than I think we are. And so, yeah, we were, we were more conspicuous, mm-hmm. not only because of our um, ethnicity, but also just we were out and about. And you want to respect the culture. You want to listen to them mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and nod. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult to sort of bridge what you want to do and what's expected culturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. But I think there's some give and take there as well. Like when our loving family who lived downstairs from us saw me when, when I was expecting, when I was pregnant, and I was out walking in the park and really, you know, still exercising mildly, but still exercising. And she really wanted me to just sit still. And then in the end, we had our baby and things were fine. And maybe there's some give and take. Like maybe yeah. I should have sat still a little, but maybe she also saw like, okay, mm-hmm. things turned out all right. I love that. I love when we model something different or new and people Mm -hmm. learn something. So yeah, Mm -hmm. you gave them 
another perspective. Mm -hmm. Also, that was your mm -hmm. gift to the people in Ecuador. Possibly. What continent was next? <laughs> well, we came back to North America and we came back and that was when we landed in McCall. So we wanted to be, well, of course, like I said, my husband's very smart. So he wanted to be in the West because we, we love it in the West. So mm -hmm. uh, we looked for jobs in Idaho and Montana that would be close to the grandparents, my mm -hmm. side of the family, who were in Boise. And also at the time, Ted's uh, brother was in Boise. So we couldn't find work specifically in Boise. And to be honest, we wanted a smaller town. So to make it work, as many people do around here, mm -hmm. we took jobs. I took a, a part-time job at the McCall Library. Ted took a three-quarters time job at New Meadows High School and Middle School. Oh. And he taught a bunch of classes down there. While at the same time, taking the basketball coaching job at McCall Donnelly High School. So we put together all those little jobs and, mm -hmm. and made it work. Wow, you cobbled it together. We did. Because we really loved, like, we were really excited to move here and live here in McCall. Also, because we are pretty avid outdoor recreationalists, mm -hmm. and we mm -hmm. really appreciate the proximity to nature, to the hiking trails, backpacking, swimming in the lake, fishing. So that kind of lifestyle really was attractive to us. All the recreational opportunities here, your family loves. Mm -hmm. You do mm -hmm. all of it. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's cool. Yes, we love it. And also at the same time, I think that the people who live here are extremely interesting. Again, it's a really well-educated populace. Yes. And so there's a lot, I mean, for a small town, there is a lot to offer here. Mm -hmm. And we really appreciated that as well. I tell people that about McCall. Yeah, it's in the middle of nowhere. And the people who live here have traveled around the world and chosen to be here. Yes. So it's a well-traveled, well-educated population. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of what keeps us here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have each other. I agree. Yes. So, well, Jack came along at some mm -hmm. point. So then our son Jack was born two years after Sophie. So he was born here in McCall. And that was about the same as Sophie or easier or harder? Completely different, really. <laughs> I mean, again, we had a lovely hospital. We had the little hospital, which is now being renovated. Um, mm -hmm. But it was quiet. It was April. I think we were perhaps the only patients in the hospital, or at least it felt that way. Your own private hospital. Right. It felt that way. People were lovely as opposed to in Quito is this, you know, multi-story, huge hospital system. So here it was very calm and quiet, at least the night that we were there. And it was lovely. Um, again, the doctors and nurses were fabulous. We were very ordinary here, right? We're from Idaho. I was from Idaho. We just, we fit right in. It wasn't anything out of the ordinary. It wasn't like we were stared at. It was more comfortable Ecuador. than exciting. Yes. You fit in. Mm -hmm. You look like everybody mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. And then this little boy, did he have freckles right away? <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> he might have been translucent also at the beginning. Right. <laughs> the freckles came later. <laughs> so great. So Jack arrives good. Mm -hmm. You're here for quite a while before you mm -hmm. decide to go to Thailand. Is yes. So Thailand is the fourth continent then where so. jack stands out oh my goodness yes again the children so they we were the children were in first grade and third grade when we moved there that's it. okay let's just pause and think okay. about that first you took your children when they were in first and third grade why then why thailand i think both ted and i were at a point with our own jobs where we felt like we kind of wanted to just Let's see. I almost said recharge our batteries, but just kind of rejuvenate. It was work over there. It was, you know, we 
it wasn't like we went on vacation for two years, but just having a really completely different change of scene just can reinvigorate your teaching. Um, so that was really important for Ted. The international school scene is, is really exciting. The school we were at is called Concordian International School, and it's in Bangkok. Not only is it almost on the opposite side of the globe from McCall, like if you drew a line right through the earth, you might almost hit Thailand. The city itself is enormous. I can't remember how many millions of people live in Bangkok compared to McCall. Totally different. And the weather, I mean, everything was so different. Uh -huh. 180 um, degrees different mm -hmm. in, in so many ways. In so many ways. As far as the children, um, we originally thought we would go to a Spanish-speaking country again because we thought that would be a wonderful gift that they could learn Spanish when they're so young and they're sponges and they can soak up languages at that age. However, once we went to the job fairs and, and met different um, administrations and saw what would fit, we, we really got excited about this job offer and we both had good job offers. I was offered um, to be the director of their library system, which is a pre-K through 12 school and also serve the faculty. So I served all ages from pre-K to the teachers. So you got to really grow mm -hmm. as a librarian. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then Ted was teaching economics, as you say, and English. The children were in first and third grade, and our particular school was an immersion school with Mandarin Chinese and English, and then they also had to take Thai. That was probably more of a shock than giving birth in Quito. <laughs> <laughs> Landing in Thailand. Landing in Thailand was really <laughs> shocking, especially for the kids. So mm -hmm. half of their day was immersion in Mandarin, and they were blending into these classes with kids who'd been doing the immersion since mm -hmm. pre-K. So they had to learn two languages. Yes, and two languages that don't even share our alphabet. Uh -huh. So uh -huh. even the writing and reading that Jack and Sophie had just learned at Barbara Morgan Elementary only helped them for half their school day. And so they were, they really had to dig deep. We have a great time when we travel together and living abroad with them was a true joy. They opened up doors for us. We met people who we wouldn't have met if we were just the adults because you naturally gravitate toward other families. People in Thailand and Ecuador both love children. Oh. Very open and smiling and friendly with the children in particular. Mm -hmm. Whereas I almost felt like I could walk by and people might not even really notice me if I was without the kids. Right. So that was really fun. And they were up for it. They worked hard, but they learned it. They learned Mandarin and they learned Thai and they came through the other side. So remember when we talked about when I moved to Ireland and I said we'd gain some strength. I think probably our children also learned some strength and how to persevere and what it feels like to be the minority what it feels like to be the only blonde-haired kid with freckles in the first grade. They learn so much. And respect for you and Ted, I'm imagining, too. Like, our parents are cool people. What did what? it give you personally oh. or mm -hmm. professionally mm -hmm. working in Thailand? Mm -hmm. So again, I'm going to use that word perspective. Even though I was working in a library in McCall, I went to work in this library across the world, and I was in charge of a staff um, as library director, I was teaching classes, I was ordering materials, and all of that from a different perspective of really the international school. And what was neat about that is there's some different things that people are interested in, but there's also some really similar things, and it was almost the similarities 
that struck me more than the differences. For instance? Well, for instance, okay, I'll give a really like a sweet example is um, I would do some story times in the school library for the elementary school kids and the kindergarten kids. I wasn't sure when I went if the same books would sort of resonate with them as the ones that resonated with the kids in McCall, but for the most part they did. So I could pick up like The Pigeon Driving the Bus and read it out loud and they would love it. I could pick up um, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. You know, these classic kind of children's books here also worked for them. And I really didn't know that ahead of time. I thought, I wonder what kind of book they will like. They loved Harry Potter. They loved a series of unfortunate events. They loved a lot of the same books that the kids here loved, which was really neat. That's reassuring that there's something universal in these stories. A good story is a good story everywhere. Everywhere. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. And you probably read those stories in English to yes. the Absolutely. There. And that's why they hire us, right? Like both in Ecuador and in Thailand is we're there to, yeah. I mean, on our own, we tried to learn Thai, but we're there to model and teach in English at a quite sure. high level. You mm -hmm. know, the high schoolers are reading Camus and Shakespeare. And so. stories... Learning a language by reading stories is a powerful way. Absolutely. Yes, very powerful. And it's easy to work that into, for the younger kids, their language learning skills like narrative and chronology. What happened first? And when we would review these stories, they were practicing mm -hmm. their vocabulary in a real natural way that they loved. And did you learn to really love being a librarian there as opposed to perhaps teaching English? Well, I did love being a librarian there. It was a fabulous job. And in some ways, it was very hard to leave because it was so wonderful. However, I would say I learned to love being a librarian right here in McCall. Came back, and then you came into this job, mm -hmm. and you were ready for it. Mm -hmm. Right. So living abroad and being in charge of that large library system, we even opened up a new secondary school library while I was there in Thailand. Having that experience under my belt really did prepare me to be able to be a library director here in McCall. So originally I was half-time here in McCall, um, raising my kids and working half-time as a children's librarian. Went away for two years, gained the experience of being a director. It's perfect. And then came back, yeah. And then when this job opened up from a retirement, mm -hmm. um, I was able to apply with that experience. And it felt really good. It did feel like the puzzle kind of fit together. And I think everyone was really relieved that you were here and ready. You were poised to do it. Thank you. It felt good. And I still have learned a lot since then as well. That was, I guess, in 2014. So tell us what you have learned to love about it. What resonates for you? What brings you joy? You know, it's really simple, Renee. I, we help people. It's really simple. Every day we help people. And I know that you think of libraries and stories and the place that that those things have in our lives and in our culture. But really when it comes down to it, um, we're helping. And that could mean anything from helping someone. Okay, I remember my very first day on the job. My very first day. And someone came in and asked for a book. I can even remember it was a book by Ernest Hemingway. I knew where it was. And I walked down the aisle and showed them and pulled it off the shelf. And that person was so excited to get the very book that he wanted. Yeah. And I felt like, oh, that, it's so simple, but so important. 
So that's a simple example, but also we help people with job resumes. We help people figure out the bus schedule. We help children learn their ABCs and be ready for kindergarten. We help seniors navigate some healthcare resources. It really comes down to just helping people. You know, I've always thought that this is a community center, the library. Mm -hmm. And you're really giving us a flavor of that. People come here when they need something and they don't know where else to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You go to the library. Absolutely. Yeah, it happens every day. Every day. And I think that um, if that collective knowledge grows and people remember that we're here, it, it's a very, very helpful resource. You know, and I forget that you do things like help people with computers. Oh, yes. A lot. And you would be surprised. I think some of us, um, it's easy to think that everyone has internet at home. And it's just not true. Um, mm. it, it's easy to think everyone knows how to simply navigate and click mm -hmm. through things. And that's not true. So the other thing we're doing is teaching some of those um, basic skills that are really becoming essential in today's world, let alone teaching people once you do get on the internet and once you are navigating what's true, what's not true, where could there be misleading statements, what's the source. So we also teach what we call information literacy to people and help them find not just an answer, but the right answer. How to find the right, how to be discerning, mm -hmm. to sift through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you also help people with things like you said, job resumes mm -hmm. and that sort of thing where mm -hmm. someone comes in, they're doing a resume and a library staff person just happens to be there. You're sort of monitoring people to see when they need help or do they make an appointment? How does that work? So I wouldn't say we monitor, but we're present and available. It's a neat system because you can also come into the library and completely do your own thing and no one's going to bother you mm -hmm. and it's free. And, and it's warm. Yeah, it's warm. <laughs> and and that's, that's a beautiful thing also, because sometimes you need a place to do that and not be bothered, whatever you're doing. So, sometimes I'm in another city and I just need to go hang out for an hour. Right. And I love finding a library Yeah. because they're so distinctive mm -hmm. and it's a safe, warm, quiet place to go mm -hmm. hang out. And for me, it's comfortable since I, like you, grew up mm -hmm. in libraries, mm -hmm. so it feels like home. So yeah. people get what they want. And yeah. so you're, you're present. You could be yes. having a conversation with someone and you discover they're working on their resume. Right. And it sort of naturally, organically. Right. Mm -hmm. As a staff, we try to just be open to that and it is natural mm -hmm. and organic. And we try to be ready. I mean, if I could have one thing, you know, tattooed across our faces, it would be just ask. Because when they do ask, we are really able to help. Most you can make time. that a byline with right. a little brand. <laughs> Get t-shirts with just ask mm -hmm. branding on it. Mm -hmm. Just ask. Just ask. And it, You honest, want to be asked. We want to be asked. And if we don't know the answer right offhand, we usually know how to get it or who else to ask mm -hmm. or where to get support yeah. um, to manage the different resources that people might need. You know, librarians are really, if you think about who we need as a cultural resource, I think about the librarian, the person who has access to knowledge and who knows how to find the knowledge as being one of our most valuable assets as a culture mm -hmm. is the librarian. Because mm -hmm. whatever it is you don't know, they will know how to get it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You will know how to find it. Exactly. And it used to be a bit intimidating, but it's not just me. It's like, I don't have to know everything. I just have to know how to figure it out. And um, that's something that fits really well with my personality is it's let's, let's go figure this out. And we can, we can dig deep and find what you need to find. 
Um, and it's a great support for any community. So that sense of adventure that you inherently mm -hmm. have and that your parents gave you, mm -hmm. now you can apply to being a librarian. Yes. Let's let's go find out. Mm -hmm. It's an adventure. Absolutely. And if you yeah. don't know it, Casey will know it or mm -hmm. Diane. or You've got mm -hmm. a staff with such mm -hmm. a broad array of mm -hmm. abilities. Mm -hmm. I can't speak highly enough of the team that we have here. Mm -hmm. And it is really nice to have um, a wide array, as you say, because different people know different things, but different people communicate in different ways. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty confident that there's someone here that can help whoever comes in. You know, one thing I'm curious about with this library, it seems like there's a lot of children's programs. And of course, I don't have kids, so I don't know a lot about it. I just notice it. Mm -hmm. And I notice sometimes when I come in, the staff, they're wearing hats or they're dressed up. And I think there's a lot going on in here. So, like, it's like a party sometimes. <laughs> and is that normal for libraries? Do you all just do a really good job at it? Well, I mean, I don't think it's abnormal. But we this do a particularly in, good job. <laughs> this happens in libraries. It does happen. And you have a children's librarian even. Yeah, and she's fabulous. Melody Dodge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that's different from teaching in a school to being a librarian in a public library is the fun. And I'm not saying that our teachers don't make things fun, because they do, but they also have to do some standardized testing, and they have to give grades, and they have to take attendance. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to do any of that, and Melody Dodge doesn't have to take attendance at story time. It's really eliminating those pressure points yeah. and really developing the love for literature, the love for story, the love for each other, for rhymes, for words, for productive play, and for creative art. And by really being able to nurture those and not have to put a grade on that art or put a grade on their listening skills or how they sat still for the day, it really frees you up to just nurture and develop yeah, so we do have a lot of fun, and, and I love that about our staff, that they're willing to wear a Dr. Seuss hat on Dr. Seuss Day, or whatever it might be. So you do art projects as well with the mm -hmm. books. You'll read a book, and mm -hmm. then maybe you'll do art with it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Melody will plan some sort of an extension that takes the story that the children just heard sort of to a new level, where they get to express themselves um, through the art, and they're sort of processing the story that they've just heard. When are you going to do that for adults? When can I come in and have story time with Melody? That's a great idea. I thought about that a couple of years ago. I thought, you know, what, can we do this as adults, yes. have story time and put on hats and draw pictures? It's a great idea. It could be kind of fun. We're going to work that out. We're going to talk to Melody and figure it out. And then you're going to bring five people. So it's right. <laughs> well I populated. I would have to commit to that. Yeah. And a book that we don't know mm -hmm. because there's so many children's books being mm -hmm. published every month yes. hard to keep up with it is it is hard to keep up with and that's a really fun part of the job though too so um but i love it i love being able to order the new books for adults and kids and teens i love that part of the job that how do you find the new books whenever mm -hmm. i come in there's mm -hmm. the, the stand with the new books on it mm -hmm. and i think how did they find them and how do you choose them mm -hmm. and sure yeah we use a variety of sources um, and resources so some are as simple as the new york times bestseller list um, some are a little bit more complicated, like reading book reviews from um, accredited services that do this for schools and libraries. We take a lot of suggestions from our community. We take suggestions both online and in person or on the phone. And then, so there's some science to it. 
but then there's also a bit of art. You sort of get to know your community. And if someone requests a really obscure book um, about some archaeology of a certain country and you just feel like there's probably only one person in McCall who's going to want this book, we will interlibrary loan that one from another library. That makes sense. But if someone comes in and requests like a new book from Alexander McCall Smith or... Um, you know, something that we know a lot of people are going to want to read. Mm-hmm. We go ahead and purchase that. So we're really responsive to people's suggestions. And I always tell them thank you for suggesting that we purchase a book because we can't always know. It's not what I want to read. It's not what I think you should read. It's the library's here to develop a, a storehouse of things that everybody wants to read. Yeah. Resources that all can adapt and, and use. So you so. just touched on the science and the art. Mm-hmm. It's called library science. Mm-hmm. Why is that? <laughs> Oh boy. Every book and item in our library has what's called a bibliographic record. And the bibliographic record um, involves computer science and the Dewey Decimal number you've all learned Mm -hmm, about in school. mm -hmm. And it puts together um, in a MARC record, which is a machine um, readable code, how to find this book. Um, So it's a lot of computer science that catalogs and keeps track of all these items as they're coming and going. We have, I think, almost 40,000 items in our collection. Wow. And every year, there are about 60,000 things that come and go from this library. So this is the iceberg under the water. Mm-hmm. We don't see mm-hmm. is the library science. The science. The exactly. cataloging. Exactly. And then the iceberg on top of the water is the art, mm-hmm. what we do see. Mm-hmm. And you see that friendly face up front, right? Mm-hmm. And you return your book or you check out your book. But what you don't always see of the iceberg underneath is what went into getting that book ready, keeping the inventory accurate. To I mean, when there's 60,000 things that go, that means there's 60,000 things, hopefully, that come back to us. Uh-huh. So, you know, over 100,000 transactions every year of physical items, and that's not counting the databases or the mm-hmm. e-books. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to keep track of. And the, you see the friendly face up front and you realize you're just a, it's just the tip of the iceberg. So I know we've talked about having a tool checkout. And you, mm-hmm. know, you know, I really want a musical instrument checkout. Yes. Is that still being talked about? Is that uh, possible? Yeah. Yes. So what's hampering the development of that right now is space. Mm-hmm. We have used basically every nook and cranny in the library to house what we have. Is there a way to do that that we, haven't, that we don't know about or I haven't thought of yet? So there are some ways, and some communities have used um, containers outside of their libraries. Some of them have keyless access codes, so you can log in with your library card online and get an access code and Love go it. pick up a ukulele or a guitar or a shovel, whatever you might need from this container nearby the library. Other libraries have these kinds of resources in-house, and so they're available mm-hmm. during open hours. Mm-hmm. And we have a little bit of that right now, but what we can fit in... So we do have a ukulele. We do have a karaoke machine. We have sewing machines. Really? We have a canning kit. So these are things that you might not use every day, right? Like you go and pick your huckleberries in July and you make your jam, and then you don't use that canning pot for 11 months. So people have started um, sharing these resources. Mm -hmm. And same thing with like our karaoke machine. Children will come and check it out for a birthday party. And then return it to the library, and we'll make sure it's good to go for the next family who wants to play with it. Do you also check out computer equipment? 
A little bit, we do. We have a student um, right now who's out of town for a sporting event and we were able to check out a laptop on loan with her library card. We have a few other things. We have a conference camera that people can, can use if, often if they're doing a Skype interview or a conference call for something and they don't have a place, they can also come and use our conference room and our wireless and use the, the camera, which is a really, it's a really nice setup. What are some other unusual things you have that maybe we don't know about? I didn't know there was a sewing machine or a karaoke machine. Right, yeah. Well, rolling out this summer is going to be our croquet set. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Again, games. Games. Who mm -hmm. knew? Board games, the croquet set, the chess. Yeah, mm -hmm. we have a lot of nice things like that. We have a bird watching kit, which has, um, we developed it in partnership with the local Idaho Fish and Game Department. So it has local information about birds you might see in Ponderosa or in your backyard in this area, and some binoculars and a little traveling pack. You know, that will be popular. I'm always surprised at how popular bird watching is. Yes. So you're going to need more than one of those. <laughs> yeah. And then some of these also help us out with programs that we have. So for example, you mentioned the sewing machine. We have a volunteer who comes and teaches sewing classes for kids and adults. Recently, it's been a lot of kids and it's sort of middle school age and they come and they fill up our, our little room and she brings a machine and we have three here and then we have one for checkout. So if someone needs to take it home and continue learning or use it for whatever purpose, you can actually check out a sewing machine and take it home. Love it. Yeah. So tell us about the programming here. That's definitely a strength this library has. Yes. From when I first started to now, if I could show you a bar chart right now of the increase in programming, it's mm -hmm. huge. And I didn't mean to take the credit for it. It's, it was a direction that the Board of Trustees and the previous library director set us on this trajectory. Mm -hmm. So they said, okay, we have this really, really small building and we can't grow it too much, but we can grow what we offer in the building. So we increased the types and numbers of programming that we were doing for all ages. So one of the, let's see, so that bar chart I mentioned, the last 14 years, programming has grown by 567%. It's multiplied. Wow. So we have everything from those early learning classes with babies on Wednesday mornings to um, a visiting scholar who's coming in May to talk about a Barbara Kingsolver novel as a gateway to discuss climate change in our community. Mm -hmm. Um, so really guided by a visiting scholar. So all of the above, right? We should probably have the painting class for adults as well. <laughs> and a lot of makerspace, Casey does a lot of these creative classes with the 3D printer. Yes. So the 3D printer is a great way for kids to learn and talk about combining art and science. You have to uh -huh. kind of understand a little bit of mathematical principles and computer um, basic maneuvering on the computer for your x y and z axis as this printer is printing in three dimensions wow you have to apply your math skills mm -hmm. love it so it makes it real and then they're also artistic because they can choose designs or make their own designs um mm -hmm. when a design doesn't work there's a lot of um this kind of reiterative process which is really key for all of us to learn with the way the world is changing so quickly Sometimes we don't know when we look at a 10-year-old what, what skills is that 10-year-old going to need when he or she is 40, right? right? We don't right. really know what our world is going to be like. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what we focus on are the sort of open-ended, problem-solving, critical thinking skills. 
So when their 3D print doesn't work, that's a, that's almost a good thing because then they get to look at that and yeah. figure out and scratch their heads and talk to Mr. Casey and say, okay, do I need more layers? Do I need more scaffolding? Do I need to make this part tighter? What would make this work? And then they try again. And then they, when they succeed, they feel that sense of accomplishment. But that sort of circular reiterative process is a lot of what Mr. Casey does during Makerspace, 3D printing, Legos for the younger kids. So here's programming for teenagers, mm -hmm. bringing kids in to get them thinking in new, different ways. Mm -hmm. And just problem solve. Yes. You do a lot. What's been surprising for you here or unexpected? Hmm. I think one thing that's been a pleasant surprise is how much I enjoy working with all ages, from the littles to the senior citizens. And I really loved teaching when I was a teacher in the schools, but this is broader. And I feel like I hit a, a really nice cross-section of our entire society, our entire community. You get to see a range of everyone. Yes. Mm -hmm. And help them. Mm -hmm. Just mm -hmm. ask. Mm -hmm. And that's been really enjoyable. It doesn't matter their people's socioeconomic background either. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. there are people who are so thankful for this library who are quite wealthy. And there are people mm -hmm. who are so thankful for this library who really don't have much. Mm -hmm. And so, again, to be able to hit all mm -hmm. the cross-sections of our community has been a really pleasant part of my job. What do you wish people would know about this place? I think the variety of things that the libraries are doing these days is something that I would really hope people learn and come and take advantage of. That these different items, the different programs and mm -hmm. items that we just talked about are here, they're available, and you have a tour guide, so to speak. You have a librarian who can help you get started, yeah. whether it's an ebook on your Kindle or the sewing machine mm -hmm. or a toddler story time where we're teaching almost modeling different skills for children to learn language and rhymes. So. I think just, just knowing that we're here and available and that it's not, not just a warehouse with dusty old books in it. Libraries, as you mentioned, a community center almost mm -hmm. feel to it. Libraries have really moved beyond um, the stereotype. They're vibrant. They're alive. Mm -hmm. Very and much so. And books are still popular. Oh, yes. I remember when we were doing the focus groups talking about the new library construction, that was a topic that came up. People still want to hold books. And that was surprising to me. Yes, very much so. So the ebook industry plateaued a few years ago, oh. and they're creeping up again. But during that same time, there was not a plateau in the print books. So I found that really interesting because I think when ebooks were first introduced, it was easy for us all to say, oh, nobody's going to even know what a book is in 20 years. And now I don't think that. I think the book itself was and is a part of technology. Right? Yes. It was an invention. Totally. And it was new when it was first invented. But it has stood the test of time right. so well. And it doesn't require batteries. It doesn't require, you know. So I think it's going to stay. There are some people who prefer to read on their devices. But more and more what I hear is people appreciating the, the book. So when you order books, mm -hmm. actual physical books, and you also have a whole online library of ebooks, what's the ratio do we have more of one? Is it yes. equal? We have more of print. However, it's a it's almost hard to compare apples to oranges in this case because our ebook collection is shared with a it's mm. called Idaho Digital Consortium. Mm -hmm. So it's a group of libraries who've come together. It's a beautiful system because why would our four walls need to 
hinder who can access digitally. So we share those items. Okay. Um, and each of us have pledged to put in a certain amount every year and help maintain and grow the ebook collection. So mm -hmm. when I check out an ebook from the McCall Library, it's because you purchased it. However, I can go also check out one from Caldwell or Boise. Yes, if it's an ebook, right. And then the other thing that's different about ebooks for Dave, the publishing firms have control over how many times we get to check out that book or how many months, not years, we get to keep that book. So when I buy an ebook, not only is it more expensive than a print book. What? Mm -hmm. Really? Really. 60 to $80. Yeah. That book is limited by the publisher to, it depends on the terms in the book mm -hmm. and the different publishing companies, but it's either going to be 24 months, maybe 36 months, or something like 25 checkouts or 40 checkouts. And then when we've reached that maximum use, it disappears and we have to repurchase. As opposed to, remember that Ernest Hemingway book I talked about a little bit ago? That book is here until someone drops it in the snowbank and ruins it, right? Mm -hmm. And it can be read, and many of our books are read over a hundred times. A mm hundred -hmm. times? Sure. Have you kept track? Is there, do you know which book has been read the most? We do. And that's the science part, right? The computer science keeps track of that for me. I don't have to keep track of it. So I can do a query. Off the top of my head, the book that was checked out the most in the last decade. Because when we rolled over to 2020, we certainly queried that. So the books that were checked out the most were, we had several copies of Anthony Doerr's All the Light We Cannot See, an adult fiction book. The most popular book mm -hmm. of the last decade. Mm -hmm. So hard books, books in the library, are better value for a library. Well, they are. Again, it's kind of apples to oranges because you have to, you probably if you weighed the entire process, I mean, I have to order them, they have to be shipped here, we have to cover them, stamp them, label them, get them ready for checkout, and that takes staff time and staff mm -hmm. hours, so, yeah. so there's some cost associated one with that book as well. One book requires quite a bit of effort to it get that one book on mm -hmm. the shelf. Mm -hmm. I've noticed mm -hmm. that, the little numbers mm -hmm. inside, I've always wondered what does that mean, mm -hmm. the science. Mm -hmm. Anything you want to tell us, back to perspective, mm -hmm. who you are and what you've learned, what is it that keeps you going, that keeps mm. you here? Well, I believe there's more depth to all of us than we realize. And I see that in the people I work with at the library and the people who come in the door as you get to know people. And Renee, your podcast is a great example. As I listen to the other interviews you've done and you get to know people's stories, it's really impactful. And that all weaves together into this fabric of our community that I believe is really strong. Working at a library where we, what do we do? We do stories. We do stories really well. And people love to read stories. Sometimes I think we can focus on just our own stories and the stories of the people sitting across the table from us and become stronger from it. So in my job, I try to value that and honor that. And I try to help that person find whatever resources they need to grow in their lives. I'm truly grateful that we have you and your family in our little town. I've always told people that Jack and Sophie are two of the coolest people in town, and that says something about their parents, too. All right, neighbors, you all know where to find Meg. Swimming in the lake, <laughs> cheering on her kids at ski and running meets, or smiling in the library. I'm Renee Silvas with Spotlight Hall. Thank you for listening. Now go and find some inspiration.